It's not, I'm not usually up here when Greg is here. I think this is actually, I was thinking the first time ever since uh, the four years I've been here where Greg is here. So it's like, might throw me off. I feel like it's (laughs) preaching idol or something where he's going to be judging me or I don't know. Um, Good morning. Glad you guys are here this morning on this snowy day. It's a blessing to be able to worship alongside with you. I don't know if you knew this, but uh, for the last few months, every time you guys come here, uh, we all get here together and worship and, and smile and have happy faces at each other that a few of us are actually fighting. Uh, every week we were doing this very important thing called, 12 of us were doing fantasy football. And um, every week we were competing against each other and uh, giving each other the, you know, the growly face as we were trying to defeat each other. And um, <clears throat> one person who shall rename, who shall uh, remain nameless, Jeff Alton, was almost undefeated the whole year. And we decided that we were going to, uh, we had to team up and bring him down. And one of our group was able to take down Jeff Alton. Chris McKinney is our champion this year, so I'm going to have him come up. We have something special for him. got to get pictures here. This is important. Really? Did you want to say anything? Oh, here, here, here. We got a mic. We got a mic for him. He wants to say, he has a few words to say. Let me make sure this is on. Obviously. Okay. On top of what would Jesus do? The second thing you need to remember is anyone but Jeff. Yeah. So, and Jeff, I really hope you're watching this. This is Chris's second victory. So next year, you guys can try to take down both Jeff and Chris because they, they both need to be knocked down a pig. Good morning. I know that this is uh, a little bit into 2018, but I haven't had a chance to say yet. So happy New Year. Hope your New Year is off to a great start. Have any of you already messed up on your New Year's resolutions? All right. That's it's okay. It's early on. I'm sure you will be able to mess them up pretty soon. So it will, it'll happen quickly. But I pray that everybody's year is starting off well. I pray, uh, I pray for boldness and courage as you guys face all the challenges that you're going to face this year. You know, so often as we go into a new year, we pray for protection and, and uh, that life is easy that year. And that, you know what, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. But if we look in the book of Acts, the, the disciples, the apostles, they prayed for courage because they knew stuff was going to happen. They knew that they were going to face things, and they knew that as they followed Jesus, there was going to be plenty of challenges and opportunities in those challenges to be able to glorify him. And so I'm just going to, I'd just like to start us off this morning with a prayer for courage and uh, for boldness as we face all the, oppor- all the challenges, but all the, also all the opportunities we're going to face this year. Dear Jesus, I thank you for this, this morning. I thank you for the opportunity that we get to be here, and we get to worship you, and we get to celebrate you. I thank you for the work that you have done on the cross and the fact that that example spurs us on and encourages us, challenges us, and reminds us that this life is not just about the easy path, but it is about the narrow path that challenges us and and requires much of us. And so, Lord, I pray for boldness. I pray for courage as we face those things. 
And Lord, I pray for many opportunities to glorify you that we might be able to stand out in how we react to the challenges of this world. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to look at, start off with, uh, just jump right into some scripture. We'll be looking at John, first off, looking at John chapter 6. And what happens here is, I'm just going to give you a little preface on this in John chapter 6, but Jesus has had plenty of followers who have been following him around, and he doesn't do what a lot of other people uh, do, which is characteristic of Jesus, Uh, but what he does is he begins to give them very hard teachings, and it really makes his followers uncomfortable, and that's what we're going to be jumping into here, is right after he gives some hard teachings to his disciples. And he says, there it says, many of his disciples said, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining, so he said to them, does this offend you? Then what do you think, what will you think if you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven again? The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But some of you do not believe me, for Jesus knew from the beginning which ones didn't believe, and he knew who would betray him. Then he said, this is why I said that people can't come to me unless the Father gives them to me. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Back when I was in Lexington, Kentucky... I um, worked with a a pregnancy center called Assurance Pregnancy Center. And I would go down and I would, um, well, what would happen is women would come in who had unexpected pregnancies, not knowing quite what what their choice was going to be. And they would come in and talk with some of the ladies there. They would get information. And if they were found to truly be pregnant, uh, they had the opportunity to have an ultrasound to be able to see that. And they found that there was a, a much better percentage and much better chance of the women's keeping their babies if their significant other guy, if he was interested to come in. And so I would go and I would talk with some of these guys and we would go through some of the same information. I would um, get, just kind of encourage them uh, in, in their role uh, to, to speak up and to be an active, um, to actively talk about what they wanted to see happen. But then we would also talk about the good news. We would use this opportunity to talk about the good news. And one thing that it really helped me to learn is that there, I, could, I couldn't ask the question necessarily, do you believe in God? Because there was so diverse views of what God is. And I couldn't even always ask, are you a Christian or do you believe in Jesus? Because even people's views on Jesus could be quite diverse. And when I presented the true gospel, to some it, it would relax them, but to others it would, it would make them very uncomfortable, as if they didn't like the fact that they couldn't, they, they liked the fact if they could keep their own think-what-I-want version of God, not a more defined version of who God is. And reading from our cultural standpoint today, Jesus is doing something that is very countercultural to what we would think. You know, instead of keeping all of his followers and trying to make it easy and, and touting how big of a group he has following him, what he does is he turns to them and he gives them hard teachings. He gives them words that makes them uncomfortable, but are true. And then he has the audacity to turn to, to them and say, does this offend you without saying sorry? 
There's a temptation, I believe, in our world today as Christians to not be offensive and instead to melt into the very fabric of society. But the reality is truth, truth can be offensive. God expects us not to melt into the fabric of society. He calls us to be salt and light. He calls us to stand out. God has great expectations for his people. And we're going to be looking at that today. Just as an example of that, Matthew 5.47, this is something that goes against what most people would think. It says, if you are only kind to your friends, how are you different than anybody else? Even pagans do that. I'd like to look at why God gives us and why we have in general, just in society, different expectations for us as Christians. So I'm going to go through that, and then I'm going to look at some of the expectations that God does have for us. We'll be looking at some of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, and then I'm going to briefly talk about what that means. So many people recoil at the idea of having expectations. How many of you remember when you got your syllabus at college and, and you, you saw what all had to be done and it just almost made you nauseous? You'd begin to freak out and you're thinking, okay, I am transferring. I'm done with college. This is more than I can handle. No way. And yet as we got through it, as we kept working, we were able to handle it. But you know what? That's how a lot of us are. We look at the scriptures. We look at the Bible. We see it as uh, some expectations and we freak out. But here's the thing is, is that God doesn't grace simply, uh, well, sorry, there are legitimate reasons why the world, why the church and Jesus himself have expectations for Christians above the rest of mankind. And here are some of them. First off, we have more to profess. We have more to profess. We have the good news. Sports fans know this well. A couple of weeks ago, I saw a lot of red shirts in here. You know, I saw a lot of red shirts. People were very proud of a certain team. And all of a sudden last week, it seemed like everybody had boxed up those shirts and they were ready for storage for the winter. I, as a Husker fan, a few months, a couple months ago, I was embarrassed. We had the worst season ever. I'm looking at the Hildebrands who are here. They, they can relate to me on this. We had the worst season we've had since the 1960s. And uh, then they fired their coach, brought in hometown hero Scott Frost, who's coach of the year. And now all of a sudden I'm seeing Husker uh, stuff everywhere. It's kind of funny. I was at Sam's Club the other day and there was a whole family with their Husker gear on. So I sat and talked to them for like five minutes. It was great. <laughs> we had a good time. This past week, Aaron and I, oh, well, Aaron went up and took Jonathan to therapy and she went to go uh, get stuff ready for, uh, to change him out of his swim clothes. And she comes back in and Jonathan is walking in the pool, which is really cool for us. And so the first thing Aaron did before she even left the, the, the therapy uh, at, down at the hospital was to make sure to post that video onto Facebook. And see, that's what happens, isn't it? When we have good news, we love to make sure people know about it. We love to make sure that we share that good news. As I mentioned before, Christians have the good news of Jesus, the gospel. The good news shares the reality of what Christ did on the cross. In Luke 19.10, it says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. But the thing is, is that the idea that people might be lost can be offensive. The message 
that people are lost is not one that people like to hear. Because the reality of this truth is that Christians are called to be more vocal about the good news of Jesus. Unless people are lost, there is no need for a savior, for the good news of a savior. There is power in the good news. In, on Rome, in Romans 1.16, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for the good news of Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile. Have you ever thought about the one God-honoring thing that we can do on earth that we can't do in heaven? Because we can, in heaven, we can worship God, we can know more about God, we can connect with other believers. The one thing we can't do is share the good news of Jesus to people who do not know him. Christians profess more because we have good news. Another thing, we have more to give. We have more to give because we have received it from God, this word called love, agape love. It's not, it's not a, a love that um, maybe what we necessarily think about in our many uses of the word love today is a very def defined kind of love. It's a selfless love. It's a sacrificial love. It's a, a love that a parent might have for a child. John describes it in 1 John 4, 15 through 19. Follow along with me. It says, all who declare that Jesus is the son of God have God living in them and they live in God. We know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. God is love and all who live in love live in God and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid of the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he first loved us. Rick Warren says this. He says, you cannot give to others what you have not received yourself. Hurt people hurt people. If, you filled, if you're filled with anger and impatience and you don't feel loved, guess what? You're not going to be able to love anybody else. You have to learn how much God loves you and let it heal your heart so you can let love flow through you. It is impossible to love others until you really feel loved yourself. Matthew 5:47 once again says if you are not only if you are kind only to your friends, how are you different than anyone else? Even pagans do that. Jesus expects us as followers to have the kind the love and kind spirit that resembles him. Jesus not only loved those who loved him, he loved those who didn't love him. Even while on the cross, he said, Father, please forgive them. Why else? Because we possess more. We have greater expectations because we possess more. We have the Holy Spirit alive inside of us. John 16 says, uh, this is Jesus, and he's getting ready to, to leave. And here's what he says to his disciples, but I'm going to be going away to the one who sent me, and not one of you is asking where I'm going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. But in fact, it is best that I go away because I, if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will, be, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. 
All that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said, the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. Believers have the blessing of the Holy Spirit in their lives, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God, that as Christians we possess more and are filled more because we have his power at work within us. We promise more. We have a hope. We have a hope because of the promises of God that he has given us, and we can act in faith on those promises. God has a hope and a vision for our future. As Christians, we should have a hope and a vision for our future. A couple of weeks ago, Aaron and I heard about a, a family in, in Jenks, Oklahoma. The student pastor at that church named Drew Wright, he, um, he and his wife were pregnant and were uh, for, with their first child. And on December 29th, about six weeks before the, his child was to be born, his wife became unresponsive and died. And shortly after, um, I think we have a, a, shortly after, doctors worked quickly to perform a C-section to deliver baby Asa. Unfortunately, because his wife had passed away so unexpectedly, uh, and, and he had gone such a significant time without oxygen, he was in critical condition. In their best efforts to save Asa, the doctors had to cool down his body to be able to work on, do some special work on him, and he remained in a comatose state for a couple days. Two days later, on December 31st, they warmed him up, but as they expected, he unfortunately did not register any brain activity. On January 2nd, Drew posted this next picture. I might have a little bit of a hard time reading this. Today we got to be together to celebrate and dedicate Asa James to the Lord and his story to the glory of God. Sometime in the near future, he will most likely breathe his last breath. But in the midst of hurt and pain and questions and fear, I am filled with joy Joy unspeakable that has no words, but just is living in me. God, only you know the impact this young man's story will have. And we trust you with that. God, I trust in you through all this. I know that Shannon is getting to be what she was designed and destined to be, and that's to be a mom. And today I am thankful for that. Thank you to everyone for your prayers and continued prayers for me, my family, and this community. Pray that God will use this as only he can. Thank you. The next day, baby Asa died. I truly believe that only those who believe in Jesus can have a hope that passes all understanding. That they can rely on the promises of God and yet have joy, and so they can have joy in the middle of a life devastated. To the very core, Drew shows that he believes Everything that God promises to us gives us a hope not only, be, not only beyond this life, but a hope that no tear is wasted and no effort is worthless. Jesus gives us promises in all things. And so as Christians, we believe we, we are promised more and we promise more. We also have a better understanding of reality and truth. We have the truth of God that is given to us. You know, the amazing thing is God created everything. He is the architect of our world. And even the things that we make, we use the 
physics that he has put in place and the natural law in order to do the things that we do. We have been given the truth of God of how things are to be done, the guidelines that are wise for our lives. And so we have a better understanding of reality and truth. So we should stand out more because of that. And also I wanted to say we, we also expect more. As Christians, God has given us a standard of morality that we, he has called us to live up to. This is probably the one aspect that is more, most offensive to people who don't know Christ. There are many ways, who, or, there are many who follow Jesus who try to downplay this expectation. They try to melt into the fabric of society and try to make uh, Jesus more palatable. But the reality is that we water him down and people don't under, may not even understand the true love that Jesus has for his people because the amazing thing of what Jesus has done is he has saved us from our sins. Grace is only relevant if there is a standard by which to give grace. If there are no guidelines, then there's no reason for forgiveness in not meeting those guidelines. In other words, you can't have grace with the rea- without the reality of sin and the hard truths associated with it. God does not forgive sin. He forgives you. He forgives you from your sins. In Romans chapter 6, it says, Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Basically saying that's ridiculous. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? So these are some of the things that, that remind us that we are expected more. There's more expected of us as Christians, not just from God, but also from the world, from fellow Christians. God is calling us, and this is just a reminder to us in this new year that to look at ways that we can step up and, and, and follow God and his expectations for us. So what are some of the guidelines that God has for us? Let's look in Romans cha- or sorry, Matthew chapter 5, and I'm actually going to have each of you grab your Bibles or the Bibles in front of you in your chairs, okay? I'm going to make you guys open these. You know the Bible doesn't just come on your phone. I just wanted you guys to know that. You can also grab these things and open them up. Matthew chapter 5. This is the Sermon on the Mount. This is a, a, the largest passage of Jesus' teachings, and he gives some very uh, challenging teachings. And I'm going to do this. I'm going to do a little bit different. I'm just going to read some of this, and then just give a couple quick thoughts after reading each passage. So I'm going to read large sections of this, and I just ask you to just follow along in your Bible there, okay? And we're going to start with verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it, lose, if, it's, if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see. So that everyone who praises your, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. God, Jesus wants us to be an example. He wants us to be visible. 
a visible and tangible reminder to everybody of who we follow. He wants us to see, he wants people to see in us what it means to be a follower of Christ. Let's keep going on there. Don't misunderstand what I have come, why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is calling us to obedience here. Even the idea of grace requires a foundation of truth. We need to seek after holiness. We need to seek obedience. God would rather have, see us obedient than to give up things in our lives for him. Verse 21, you have heard about our ancestors were told, you must not murder. You, if you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say to you, if you are even angry with someone, are you not subject to judgment? If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and are suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave this, your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled with that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. When you are on your way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to an officer and you will be thrown into prison. And if that happens, you will surely, you surely won't be free again until you have paid the last penny. God has called us to have gentleness with each other, to not be harsh with each other, but to be gentle. Instead of brash, being brash and dealing with people and not caring about the person, God is calling us to be gentle with them, thinking about their hearts instead of thinking about what we can receive out of anything. Let's keep going. You have heard it said, you have, sorry, you have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. God is calling us to purity, an expectation of purity in our lives. It goes just beyond obedience, but to a pure heart, pure of intention. Let's keep going. You have also heard that our ancestors were told, you must not break your vows. You must not carry out the vows made. You must carry out the vows you make to the Lord. But I say, do not make any vows. Do not say by heaven, because heaven is God's throne. And do not say by, by the earth, because the earth is his footstool. And do not say by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is a city of great king. Do not even say by my head, for you can't turn one hair white or black, or in my case, back. Just say a simple, yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. We need to be truthful in all things. We need to let our words be honest. If we have to set a, a, give additional measures by people to trust us, then we aren't being a truthful person at all. Let's keep going there. Let's finish this out. 
You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good. And he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that. If you are only kind to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. God has called us to be love, to love people. We need to understand that Jesus has been this example to us and he is calling us to these great expectations. I encourage you to continue to read through that, to continue to read through uh, the Sermon on the Mount that goes through chapter 7 because Jesus continues to give us expectations. And yeah, it can be a little bit terrifying. It can be a little bit challenging. But isn't that a good thing? Isn't it good for us to have expectations to rise to, to know that we are standing out and that people can see that we are different? The last thing I'm just going to talk about really quickly is why is it even important for me to meet these expectations? I mean, doesn't grace cover all these things? Uh, Do we really need to worry about all this? And, you know, there's a lot of things I could say. I could say... It's important to meet these expectations because I'm known by my fruit, by the things that I do. People see these things. They're an, to be an example that we are judged by. I could say because my works will be revealed that God knows my works, even the hidden ones. I could say because it will stop the, the talk of the enemy as, as the example of my life shows that... Um, that the words that I speak are valid and true in me. I could say because, of, uh, because it's doing God's will and giving him glory and, and that it calms my own conscience. But the reality, the biggest, most important thing why we should meet these expectations is more simple and profound than that. It's because Jesus loved us first. And that may sound weird, but the reality is, is that Jesus loves us. Jesus has great expectations for his followers because he loves us, and that kind of love deserves a response. The moment that we realize the sacrificial, radical, amazing love that Jesus has for us, it should change everything in us. That kind of love deserves a response. A true appreciation is measured in life change. Being a preacher's kid with the last name Shepherd, I learned something very valuable early on in life. When I was about six years old, my family got invited to somebody else's house for a dinner. And so we went over there, and I was being my unusual self. I was uh, being ornery, and I was picking on the kids of the people we went to have dinner with and my own younger sisters. And uh, even after repeated uh, uh, chastisements from my parents, uh, I was not, they saw that that was not going to change my current trajectory of attitude. And so um, before long, uh, we called the, the dinner off a little early, went home. And my parents practiced the long-practiced 
um, discipline of spanking, which I deserved. And I remember after, after a calming down time, my parents came into the room and they said something that I remember to this day. Cody, you carry a name. That name means something. The things you do reflect either good or bad on that name. Because you carry our name, I will not let you act how you want, but instead teach you how you should act. It is because I love you. And I want to tell you something today. I'm going to repeat these words back to you, but this is exactly why God has called us to great expectations. I can imagine Jesus saying the same thing to us. Church, you carry a name. That name means something. The things you do reflect either good or bad on that name. Because you carry the name of Christian, I will not let you act how you want, but instead teach you how you should act. It is because I love you. Let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you that you have called us to great expectations. And Lord, that does not mean we're going to be perfect. I fail more often than I'd like to admit. Lord, you have given us grace, and I am so thankful for that, that in the gift of, of Christ's blood, we have been forgiven. But that forgiveness comes at a cost, and Lord, I pray that we don't take that lightly. I pray that we give our lives in thanks and appreciation, that we allow our lives to be radically changed by the power that has been given in us in the Holy Spirit. And Lord, that we are not ashamed or afraid to be salt and light. And Lord, if that is offensive to people, let us not be embarrassed about that. Let us not hide. Not because we desire to be offensive, but because we desire to be truthful. Lord, I pray that as we look forward in this coming year that we seek to be bold and be courageous and that no matter what we face, Lord, that you are glorified in and through our lives. Lord, and sometimes that, that's a daily prayer that we need to pray because I can only pray for today. I don't know if I have the courage and strength to handle this whole year, but Lord, the amazing thing is you refresh that daily in us. And that is the gift of the Holy Spirit. It is not our power. Our own power does not our own discernment at times. And Lord, we trust in that and we rely on that. And Lord, help us to daily look into your word that gives us life. To know how to continue to meet these expectations you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen.